Want to start your own podcast? Anchor makes it super easy. Here's what you need to know about Anchor. Most importantly, it's free. Second, there are tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor distributes your podcast to numerous platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a quality podcast all in one place. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or visit anchor.fm to get started. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 10, which is a milestone episode because we're told that many podcasts fizzle out before they get to episode 10. And so here we are. So we're clapping for ourselves and you should clap for us too. Clap for us, clap for us, clap for us. I know. I am put, I am beating myself on the back. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be too hard. (laughs) Patting myself softly on the back. Uh, it has been a pleasure to do this with you, uh, Michelle. You know, the early nights and the late evenings. Um, just, yeah, the, uh, the, sorry, the early mornings and the, mm-hmm. the, late, the late nights, putting this together and brainstorming and just putting it together as we go. I, I think it's been uh, just great. Great, great, great. Yes, it's definitely been a labor of love. And, you know, as I sit in my little hot closet where I, aka my recording studio. So just to let you guys know the struggle I go through for you guys. You know, when I get out this closet, it's like somebody put me in a hot box. (laughs) I am so (laughs) hot and sweaty when I'm done. But for you, I persist. Right. It's not sweat, it's sparkle, Michelle. You know, so yes. Right now, you could probably see me from space. I'm sparkling so hard. <laughs> yes, we've learned so much as we've gone, but it's been it's been a true education and a joy. And reaching out to the people that uh, have been on the show and how many amazing entrepreneurs and experts in the impact investing space has been a true honor. So I'm really happy that we are at this milestone episode, especially at such a crazy time for the world. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, where do we start? <laughs> where, yeah, literally, where do we start? There, there, there are so many things going on concomitantly and all with their own level of importance and it's just like when there's so many sort of detrimental and important things happening right now it becomes a little bit overwhelming to deal with all of them so we found ourselves in the midst of the COVID crisis like we've not not in this generation experienced anything like this before most of us were unprepared for how to deal with it And as we were starting to get into the rhythm of figuring out how to deal with that, and someone said, you know, because we kind of paused for a little while Mm -hmm. and we were able to be still and think and be be more introspective, 
and and more time to pay attention to what's going on. So more people were able to really, well, when I say more people, I mean more non-Black people, right? Because mm-hmm. Black people, we've been in this struggle and we've been paying attention because it's our daily lives. It's yeah. the struggle that we live with. And so when Ahmaud Arbery and then Breonna Taylor and then George, George Floyd, which was just the culmination of all of that, all of these things happening during COVID when we're consuming a lot more media. So a lot more eyeballs were on these issues. And just to see with the case of George Floyd, just how gruesome, well, they're all gruesome, right? But something about this one really touched the chord with a lot of people where you're like, where for the first time, a lot of people who should have recognized that this is not right are now starting to recognize that this is not right and something needs to be done about it. And so in the midst of a global pandemic and then another pandemic that has existed throughout the entire history of this country, which is racism and systemic racism, flares its head. And then people are like, we are tired. Enough is enough. And not only are we fighting coronavirus, we're fighting racial injustice and systemic racism. Yeah, I mean, I think you make a good, a great point. You know, many people have called this the great pause. And I don't think the groundswell globally that has, that we've witnessed, you know, on social media and, you know, through our news networks and just from interacting with family and friends could have happened without this pause that ha- that, that, that needed to happen in the world. And also just seeing that COVID-19 and the reality of the almost eight and a half million confirmed cases of, of coronavirus and the nearly half a million people around the world who have died especially where we are in the United States, we are clear that a disproportionate number of of the cases in the US have affected uh, African-Americans and people of color. And so I think the interrelationship of COVID-19 and then what what, what people have seen um, and... And what it makes you think of is how many situations were not taped, how many situations happened and there was nobody there to give that you know, eyewitness account and how many people have died as a consequence of what just appears to be sort of a lack of awareness of the humanity of people yeah. brought to this country bought to to build it into this you know the superpower that it, it that it is or claims to be um and 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 there's no recognition of that contribution and i know people might be thinking at this point well what do these things have to do with funding and the answer right. is a lot because exactly. we're about to get into that so when you look at the impact of the mitigation measures to deal with the virus, the economic impact of that, 
the the brunt of it fell let's start with the US where we're based mm-hmm. fell on small businesses who and the ones who suffered the most disproportionately are black and brown businesses right and the ones who disproportionately did not get access to the stimulus funding that was intended to support small businesses were what black and brown businesses right and so all of it's inter- interconnected systemic racism lack of access to funding like the very part of the the barrier to funding is based in bias and systemic racism yeah i mean i think i there were some statistics that i shared i think in Michelle McCall's episode about you know there's a lot of discussion about now's the time to start a business and carpe diem and and really surging forward and then the reality is that so many businesses of color have either folded or you know are in the the most precarious situation and i think again we were able to talk to margaret camera who's you know work, works in sort of food um retail uh, and food preparation and just hearing her talk about pivoting from you know uh pop-ups and large events to her concept of of creating food at a commercial kitchen and having people pick it up every day uh, you know once a week or delivering it to their house and just the types of sacrifices and pivots that businesses have had to make um and and what that means for staff what that means for long-term investment and growth and what that's going to mean moving forward and i think one of the you know startling things that are that i'm thinking about is just we're looking at trillions of dollars in terms of government deficits around the world and what is that really going to mean for essential services and how are businesses going to adapt to that next normal those are the questions that i think are very important when you start to think about finance and funding and building the type of resilience that's going to be required so businesses can figure out how to address their need the needs of their customers and their own internal visions for growth while operating in this uncertain uh landscape yeah and agility and the ability to pivot quickly is oftentimes tied to the financial means to make those investments so if you were doing sort of a traditional business where it was service oriented and you're dealing you know with the public on a day-to-day basis if you do not have access to capital to put in a system to go digital and to go online how how do you weather the storm pivot with what exactly you know, and I think also the Black Lives Matter protests have put a, a real spotlight on systemic racism, including the funding space in, ven- in the venture industry and in philanthropy, right? And these things aren't new. They've been there and they've been barriers. The thing is now that people are getting ready to call out barriers and call out, you know, the bullshitters and asking people to be accountable, 
you can't say that you are working, even some of the philanthropic organizations that sort of work in the justice space, but they have no diversity. <laughs> exactly. You know? And exactly. There, is barri- there are barriers around who gets their funding. Um, I remember reading something about this particular, as you know, lots of people are putting out these statements and all of these things because, you know, they're trying to not get called out, make it seem as if they're doing something, but they're not really doing anything. And this particular organization reached out to someone to, you know, ask somebody to come into the organization and help them get their house together. And I'm like, why just now? Why just now? And I saw someone on LinkedIn, I think it was David McQueen, posted that, you know, because he does some DNI, diversity and inclusion work. And these organizations are reaching out to like black DNI professionals, wanting them to come in and they don't have a budget to pay them to do this work. Like we are not coming into your organizations to get you all together for free. That's my pet peeve. That is my absolute pet peeve. Number one, people of color should not be your diversity. Like they shouldn't, the diversity should not be the diversity and inclusion team in a company or an organization. That is not the goal here. Um, and also the idea that people should be just so happy to be doing this work for free for the cause, you know, again, it is, it is disrespectful. It is disrespectful of people's expertise of their time and as, and it cheapens the contributions that you're hoping that people make. I can't begin to tell you how many team building and negotiating and critical conversation trainings I've either heard about or spoken about um, or, 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 or been involved in. And all of those companies who do those that type of work have been handsomely paid for such. Uh-huh. So I just, I really think that it is a tricky situation um, in terms of uh, being a company that maybe hasn't been on the forefront and you look at your senior leadership team and there is a monolith of different, you know, whether it's gender or race or any other kind of identifying feature. But again, think purposefully and and and. Um, and strategically about being authentic in what you're going to do and what you're going to say, because yeah, a statement is one thing, but really looking at diversifying is another. And I think that um, Mr. Ohenian uh, from BuzzFeed, is that correct? I think. No, it's. um, Oh, it's Reddit. Sorry. Reddit. Yeah. Who stepped down and really sort of directed his board to do the right thing is one of many instances that I've seen recently where I thought, you know, that was intentional, that was thoughtful. And it it goes a long way to saying, you know, there are amazing, talented people out there. And another thing that I've heard, which, you know, again, People have to be very careful about what they say in a particularly uh, sensitive time is that 
nobody's talking about lowering any bars. Oh, so wait, I'm glad you said that, my friend. So after the whole Alexis Ohanian stepping down from the board position at Reddit, I was perusing through comments and people were like, well, what if they can't find anyone qualified? Newsflash, there are plenty of qualified Black people in this country who can sit on a board. Okay, should I say it again? There are in the back. plenty, and let me say it slowly, <laughs> plenty of Black people who are qualified in this country who can sit on a board. The reason why, or some of the reasons why they're not sitting on these boards is because of what? Bias and systemic racism. And so within like a week, they found someone to um, fill that board seat. And I made a comment on LinkedIn under whoever had posted, you know, the guy from Y Combinator who was um, recommended for that role. I'm like, well, well, well. And to all the people made it making the very coded comments about, oh, what if they don't find someone? I'm like, there you go. They found someone within a few days. And then the sad part was this Black person, I'm just going to chalk it up to ignorance and age. He looked young. He comes in the comments and he says, well, I hope you don't mess up. Yeah. And I'm like... Why would you say that? How? And I'm like, do you understand that this man who got this job did not get this job because he's a puppet? That he is qualified and capable and accomplished and was doing work at that level? He's not a plant. He wasn't just put there to be watered and to look pretty. Like, this man has done the work to get to where it is. he is. And I'm assuming that Everyone else who's on that board, and I don't know, you know, why do you assume that it's up to him? Oh, don't mess up. Did anybody else go and tell the other people when they get um, appointed to that board? Well, don't mess up now because everybody's looking at you. Yeah. Uh, So so the gentleman that we're talking about, the um, uh, CEO of Y Combinator is Michael Sibel. Think is mm-hmm. that's exactly who it is. Um, but but you know you make a really good point, and I think it has so much to do with you know it, it's. I, I think it was Chris Rock, the comedian, who said that you know equality is actually about everyone being having the ability to be mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> And it seems like in a lot of spaces, mediocre is the bar and they're making you feel like you have to work twice as hard to be mediocre. I'm like, what? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, he's just, he's so funny. But I, he, it, it gets to the point that, you know, so is the expectation that Mr. Sabelle is supposed to be, you know, a, Unflawed and unflawed. Right. In, mm-hmm. in every aspect of his life is, you know, how many times have we has have people made decisions based on what they know and 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 
gone with a gut feeling or however however their decision making process might be and i i think it just has it says a lot about the expectations of of put upon african americans in in every aspect because yeah. in so many situations you know whether it's being part of a board or whether it's leading an organization or whether it's being an athlete or whether it's having an interaction on the street the expectation is that you are to understand every optic of every situation and um and 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 perform accordingly and that to me seems an impossible task um, yeah and let me just give a few statistics about the venture capital industry that just that this man has been working hard and one of the only people that look like him like at that level in silicon valley um, just about 3% of venture partners and only about 1% of venture back startup founders are black, you know, and when, when we talk about women and attracting venture capital, we all know sort of how dismal those statistics are. Um, you know, black women are starting businesses as the fastest clip, you know, in any racial group. And since 2017, the number of firms owned by African-American women has grown by 164%, but they only account for less than 1% right. of venture funding. So they're out there doing the work. And is it because they're unqualified? They don't have great ideas? Really? No. Those and aren't the yeah. And, and, and another area that really does strike me is that you know, many people talk about, well, you know, why there's there's so much uh, power in in the black and brown dollar, and you know, why don't we have our own financial institutions, and why aren't we creating our own uh, opportunities around? Finance? Well, when we did, it was burned to the ground and bombed. Exactly. We and did do you, that. When you hear about <laughs> this history of banking and finance and how the you know governments looted black financial institutions that's another area that i think has really torn away a lot of misunderstanding even my education has been on so many things related to the experience after slavery jim crow you know, it's it's really important history to understand wherever you are on the planet. But I think particularly living here, because the messages that you hear about, well, you know, why can't people just pull themselves up by the bootstraps? If I hear that one more time. Well, you're assuming that people have boots. Right. <laughs> and, 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 but you're also assuming that those boots weren't, you know, what happened to those boots? What happened to all of the efforts and initiatives to capacitate Black business and to capacitate Black neighbourhoods? And, and how were they co-opted? Whether it was, you know, pumping in drugs from, um, from different places. I mean, there have just, just take a little mosey down history lane. There's There's been amazing commentary um, the uh, uh, Dr. Laura Darden, I think from UVA, 
uh, and the Harvard's, Harvard Business Review did a fantastic job of really documenting in a very sort of short white paper the history and the consequences of racism in the United States. But I think it's also important to stress that we are now seeing African countries step forward on an international platform and say, what is happening to people of African descent is abominable and has to be acted on on a global level. And that, Michelle, I think, is quite a, it says a lot in terms of where we've been and the fight that has been, you know, over 400 years now. So it's going to be interesting to see what solidarity groups come up as a, out of a result. I think I read somewhere that the Ghana government is literally trying to provide incentives for people to come well, you know, they've been doing that for a while now um, right. with that whole uh, year of the return sort of full circle festival, you know, that whole, it's a whole marketing thing too, headed by badass bows, bosomous, <laughs> you know, if you don't know who she is, you need to look her up. Yeah. And that is a, you know, a movement that's been going strong for um, a few years now and has regenerated a lot of interest in the continent. And I think Ghana is like the trending country in Africa for increased visits. And Ghana's sort of been a place where, especially the diaspora in the Caribbean has has flocked to. I know there's a Jamaican population um, in Ghana and a lot of Jamaicans are descendants of the Ashanti and the Fanti of Ghana. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's sort of had an open door policy for a while, but I think their government has definitely been doubling down on that. And I think the president of Ghana did a trip, I think last year to the Caribbean, sort of trying to create closer connections and also trade connections because Africa does not really do business with the black diaspora that much like in the caribbean you yeah, know that's, and that, that's a missed opportunity area. that needs it to is. be present. it is in fact i think you know as it relates to shea production which i know you and i sort of have some interest and focus on there aren't that many if at all direct connections with countries in africa that are shea producers and you know latin and and um the latin america and the caribbean and i always wondered like when you look at it on the globe it has to come through the u.s in order to then come down and i it just it just feels like an opportunity now to really strengthen diaspora and global supply chains and you know, we've never needed each other more, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, and I think that's a good way to segue into the by Black, by, by Black period, whatever sh- version of Black you are. So whether you're from the U.S. or from the global Black Africa or the global Black, black diaspora. And I know that's something that, you know, in terms of the, the guests and the entrepreneurs that we've invited on the show to share their stories and their entrepreneurship journeys Part of that is to create an opportunity for those entrepreneurs to 
talk about the challenges and also successes, you know, that they've achieved in finding funding to scale and grow their businesses and to share those experiences to motivate and inspire other entrepreneurs to know that even though the road is long and it's hard, that there are some opportunities there and to share those opportunities and to invite people on the show who are on the funding side of things, as we've been doing, to demystify the fog around funding and to get more information out there. You know, and if we can talk about like some of the awesome brands that we've already featured and will feature in upcoming episodes, we kicked off the show by featuring Funleo Alabi, who is of Nigerian descent, but is based in the U.S. And her supply chain is in Africa and in Nigeria and in Ghana. And then we followed up with Francesca Poku, who is Ghanaian and has her own beauty brand, but also partners with Funlayo and is a part of her supply chain and her struggles to leverage funding to scale and grow her business and how far she's come, even in the face of her challenges. And then who else did we, we have? We have Grace Tamara from Greenwood at Eve Carmon Perus, that some of you, that's an upcoming episode, um, might have seen um, presenting, pitching on Shark Tank with her husband, Stefan. We have Shirley Below, who is from the French Caribbean, from Martinique, um, also of African descent. Her mom is African and she was born in Eritrea and raised in Martinique and then grew up in France and her wonderful beauty brand called Catalyse where she invested a lot in learning and understanding the science behind the banana plant. So not only is she a beauty brand um, founder, she's also a scientist who owns three patents. And then we have, who else? We have um, upcoming episodes. We'll be talking to the mother-daughter duo of Eugenia Coite and her daughter Nasa Clay of the Mother Shea and Eugenia Shea Butter Beauty Brands. I mean, these are all awesome entrepreneurs with fantastic high quality products. And the amount of struggle that they've had to go through to find funding. And I must just say that I've worked at a a grant making organization for a number of years. And my organization had funded Eugenia a few years before I started working there. And then we closed our program in Ghana and I met Eugenia coming up now, I guess a year and a half ago at the Global Shea Alliance Conference in Ghana. And when she found out where I worked, she was just going on and on about how instrumental the funding was that the organization that I worked with at the time had provided to her and how it was just this right on time funding for her business when you know men in the village had burnt down her little processing factory that she spent 5 years trying to to grow and employ rural women in the shea sector which you know in Africa is known as liquid gold for women and to create economic opportunities for those women and men got jealous and burnt her operation to the ground And right at that time when it happened is when we came back, the organization came back to Ghana and I think she had applied before 
we had pulled out and they're like, oh, are you still looking for funding? She was like, am I? Am I? <laughs> Absolutely looking for funding. Got her up and running again. And she talked about how valuable the technical assistance and capacity building was. It was like going through a little mini MBA to put in the organizational and financial management capacity that was needed to transform what she was doing from just a, a, a sort of an income generating activity to a full-fledged business. And just to see, you know, how difficult it was, you know, trying to get bridge loans from the banks, you know, that being a very difficult process and just facing difficulties at almost what it seems like every turn to try and find financing to scale and grow this business and how she persisted, even in the face of so many tragedies. But we won't talk about those because her episode is coming up and we want you to stay tuned for that. So I'm not going <laughs> to give, I'm not gonna give all the good like, away. give away the gems. <laughs> I'm not oh, giving right. away all the goods. You just have to tune in <laughs> to that episode. And then, you know, when her daughter steps in and we just really love that sort of intergenerational aspect of like the mom starting and the daughter picking up the baton and running it to the finish line. And, you know, just wanting to really feature and highlight these brands that are worthy of investment. And they've been out there, they've been in the trenches and they've been doing the work and they've got great products um, on the market. And you should check them out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. (laughs) I think, I think that, you know, again, we're talking about high quality, amazing products, you know, created with that love of culture and history and lineage. And they deserve our support across the world. They deserve our support. And also, you know, by black expertise, by black um, consulting advice, Mm -hmm. you know, look at you know, organizations or websites like Black Freelancer. I'm glad to say that we have an amazing editing and production team. We've been able to uh, support people who've helped us with our social media and our content for marketing. Yes, this is good. Glad you mentioned that, Lydia. Right, a Black-owned. Shout out to Century Favor in Abuja and Endgame HQ who do our logo and and they're helping us with our marketing. They do fantastic work. So if you're looking for people to help you, if you have a podcast or just anything, they do, um, they work in all areas of marketing actually. So their website is endgamehq.com. Check them out or check them out on social media. Cornelius, uh, the producer's house, Woohoo! Um, who does our editing. Let me tell you guys, if Cornelius were to tell you about all the foolishness we talk about on these episodes before we start recording, like in real, but the, the, the thing is rolling and at the end, you would, <laughs> yeah. it would be like a comedy show in and of itself. So Cornelia, we're sending you that non-disclosure agreement. You cannot. (laughs) He's our silent third um, partner here because he just, uh, he puts it all together for us. And it's just such an amazing, wonderful journey to see people 
putting their heart and soul into things and being such great professionals, being responsive um, and being supportive of us and being supportive of this podcast. And, uh, you know, again, this is the way that we can support each other and grow businesses and ventures that, you know, can have this type of ripple effect. So really important to showcase our partners in this podcast also. Yeah. And so do we want to talk about anything else before we close things out? Um, You know, again, we are living in very uncertain times. We, the statistic that I was uh, talking about earlier about this deficit, they're, they're thinking it will be 30 trillion by 2023 globally. So that's a pretty stark statistic. But I think what I'm seeing around the world with the, you know, the removing of, of statues and the, and the need, you know, of, 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 that represents so much of the darkness makes way for these new opportunities. And with, with what COVID-19 is going to charge the world, um, we're going to need each other more. And, you know, as black and brown communities, as, as people who have the choices to support organizations, services, companies, businesses, I would just urge people to think about, we need to be each other's enough. And growing our own breadbasket whether it's expertise on VC and investing um, and impact investing, whether it's supporting the people who are, you know, putting, you know, putting that change forward or whether it's supporting the brands that Michelle just talked about. There's, there are things that you can do, small things every day to make that type of change. And the ripple effect, as I said before, I think is noticeable. So again, lots of uncertainty, but definitely lots of hope. Hope springs eternal and we'll be there to capture the stories and the lessons learned of the people on the front lines. So to let you guys know, in case you don't know, we've started another podcast, a spinoff called Where's the Fun in Africa Edition that features uniquely um, content specific to the African entrepreneur and the African ecosystem. So make sure that you also subscribe to that podcast, especially if you are in Africa, so that you can get content that is targeted to you. And that's why we sort of did the spinoff, because for our African listeners, we want to make sure that the content we are providing to you is specific to your context and to your needs. So make sure that you're also subscribing to that show and you know doing all the good things that we ask you to do, like, rate, and review. And if you are listening, let us know. Email us. We want to get conversations going with you. Let us know if we're doing a good job and where we can improve and what type of content you want to hear from us. If you have some recommendations for people you think we should have on the show, whether they're on the entrepreneur uh, entrepreneur side or on the funding side of things, we are open. And since Lydia still doesn't know what our email address is, I'm going to tell you (laughs) 
is where's the funding at gmail.com. Where's the funding at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. So also follow the show pages. We the there's the where's the funding page on Instagram. And then we have a where's the funding Africa page on Facebook. So yeah. please make sure that you're following um, both pages and that you also interact with us. Lydia and I, we're on LinkedIn. We post about the shows there as well. Um, so interact with us. Like we really want to hear from you because hearing from you keeps us going that we know that we're doing good and we're hitting the mark and we're providing the value that we hope to provide because we're not doing the show for us. Like we're really not. And for those of you who did not listen to episode zero, which was the initial episode that we put out on the Where's the Funding podcast about, you know, why we're doing this. And also it was at the urging of our Black women entrepreneur friends like Francesca Lobby and um, um, Faleo Lobby and Francesco Poku and, and people like Eugenia who you know, we were tired of gathering in the coffee shops and crying into our kombucha and our coffee about how hard it is for them to to raise funding. And they're like, Lydia and Michelle, why don't you guys start a podcast to talk about this? And, you know, both Lydia and I work in the international development space, and I've been working um, to support smallholder farmers and women and youth entrepreneurs on the continent for about 10 years, providing grant funding. So, you know, I'm in the space. I've been doing the work. We've both been doing the work. And so we're like, why not jump in and amplify this conversation and amplify the voices of those people who are doing the work, the people who are doing the work on the entrepreneurship side and want to share their stories and the people who are doing the work on the access to finance side of things. Yes, absolutely. So 10 down, 100 more to go. Um, just very excited about the new entrepreneurs and investing uh, experts that we're going to be hearing from. And again, as Michelle mentioned, would love to hear feedback from you. And let's just keep this going. Thanks so much. All right, guys. See you back here for the next episode. You don't want to miss it.